thieves strike at a high-end retailer. They ransacked the store. They took approximately $20,000 worth of store merchandise. The suspects captured on camera as Vancouver councillors consider installing a lot more of them around the city. Downtown Vancouver bounces back. We really are a bit of an outlier in North America when it comes to economic recovery. The wins and losses fighting through the pandemic. And ferry failure. There are people who have serious medical issues on either side. The worker shortage stranding customers on the North Coast. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police have released security video of the violent robbery of a high-end retailer that clearly shows the faces of the suspects and they are asking for the public's help. Romina Dea has the details and questions about the timing of the release. Suspect one pepper sprays the security guard, temporarily blinding him. Terrified staff run and hide in a stairwell. Thousands of dollars in luxury bags stolen from the Gucci store in downtown Vancouver. They ransacked the store. They took approximately $20,000 worth of store merchandise. A clean getaway, almost. Both suspects peeling off their disguises before they leave the scene. Clear images of their faces caught on surveillance camera. We are hoping by releasing this video today that members of the public will recognize who these men are and call us. Police obtained the video of the suspects early in this investigation. They are just releasing the video now, more than four months later. So why the delay? Police won't tell us, raising questions about the timing. Well, were there any discussions with anybody at City Hall regarding the release of this video now? No, this was purely an investigative uh, reason. This was, this was about our investigation. City Hall had nothing to do with this. Vancouver City Council considering a controversial motion to add more surveillance cameras to public spaces to deal with violent crime, including an unprecedented number of stranger attacks on innocent people. We know that the public may be uncomfortable with um, having their footage taken, and so we do appreciate that. We understand that. We've had tremendous um, success in um, identifying offenders, especially very violent criminals who commit violent offenses. Um, we've had success in arresting them with the help of the public by releasing footage. Back at the site of the bold burglary, the security guard who was violently attacked is back on duty. His injuries minor. It's unclear who's buying the stolen merchandise. Clearly, there's a market. Romina Dea, Global News. And as Rumina mentioned, a motion on the expanded use of security cameras in Vancouver to help deal with crime is being considered and could go to a vote at City Council tonight. For more on that, let's bring in Ahmad Agahi. Ahmad, you reported on this on last night's news hour, and there's been some heated discussions since then. Bring us up to date on what's been going on. Well, Sophie, there is no question that if approved and followed through with, this would be a pretty dramatic approach by the city of Vancouver uh, to tackle its public safety issues. That CCTV motion by Melissa DiGenova was briefly discussed in city council last night. And if that previews any indication of the main event tonight, it could be a fiery uh, discussion in that building. We'll show you a brief exchange when uh, the mayor, Kennedy Stewart, asked Melissa DiGenova where she suggests the funding could come from for that program. Board or city budget? Pardon? Police board or city budget? 
city budget and perhaps other budgets as well, Mayor. So property tax increases to bring CCTV in? Not necessarily. I can I see us um, looking at massive, other areas. the property tax increases. Uh, okay. No, that's not the case, but you interrupted me answering your question to make a point in a statement, so I'll stop there. My apologies. Thanks for your answer. Okay. <laughs> Now, Councillor DiGenova's goal here is to have the city staff sit down with Vancouver police and perhaps other stakeholders in the community and come up with a report on the effectiveness, the feasibility and the cost of implementing a large scale security video system in the city. She says some of these cameras are already in place, by the way, and claims this will deter crime, help police investigate and arrest violent offenders committing some of the random assaults we have been seeing. Other preliminary questions from other councillors all focused on privacy, but the motion was seconded by Councillor Hardwick, which means it will be tabled, it will be discussed and debated, and there will be a vote. And more uh, tense discussion, I'm sure. Ahmad, is there any indication when we might finally see a vote take place? Well, this is the last item on a pretty long agenda that the City Council has been working on all week. I'm told now there are uh, 10 speakers signed up to weigh in on this CCTV motion. Uh, City Council is just resuming from dinner recess and we're expecting to see this tabled within the next couple of hours finally. All right. All right. Thanks for that. Amadagahi at Vancouver City Hall. Police in Abbotsford are searching for a driver who left a pedestrian with life-threatening injuries. 38-year-old Dale Lillick was hit while crossing Hillcrest Avenue near Clearbrook Road just before midnight. Police say the driver fled the scene and left the victim lying in the street. They are asking any witnesses or anyone with dash cam footage at the time to come forward. So our goal as investigative uh, investigators uh, here is to locate uh, that driver involved in this collision uh, for not remaining on scene and hold them accountable for the actions that this person has to deal with. Investigators were on scene gathering evidence today. Anyone with information is asked to call Abbotsford Police. Well, perhaps nowhere has the pandemic hit harder with remote working and business closures than downtown Vancouver. That's right. The latest report from the Business Improvement Association has some very encouraging signs, but also some evidence the downtown core still has a long way to go. Aaron MacArthur reports. Plenty of people out having lunch on the streets in the sunshine. And while the number of people downtown has increased, the foot traffic in the city core still a fraction of pre-pandemic levels. Workplaces still trying to figure out what 2022 looks like. Office foot traffic only about 30% of normal, according to a new report from the Downtown Business Improvement Association. It's an encouraging report. There are challenges ahead, certainly. Uh, but we should feel very good about where downtown Vancouver is. Downtown Vancouver has recovered faster than most cities in North America. Unlike a lot of downtowns, the peninsula home to more than 100,000 people. And that's helped drive some much-needed economic recovery. Retail sales for a second straight year, 25% higher than in 2019. The concern for many businesses that rely on the office lunch rush or the after-work crowd is the trickle back into the office. Certainly we haven't gotten office workers back to downtown yet at pre-pandemic levels, but we've seen investment in office space, which is a strong indicator uh, that markets are coming back, that, um, that employers expect employees to come back. The State of Downtown report says only 11% of workers intend to be in the office full-time this year. 
Despite that, companies are still leasing space. Vancouver expects to have more than 3 million square feet of new floor space available in the next few years. According to commercial leasing experts, despite the hybrid nature of work for most people going forward, more than 60% of that space has already been pre-leased. But even in a hybrid model, people are in three or four days per week. A lot of people are going in the same days during the week. So you still need the same amount of office space to accommodate those capacity requirements. Tourism numbers have struggled for the past two seasons. Hotel stays haven't recovered yet. Airport traffic still lower than normal. But the return of cruise ships and events should paint a much different picture for 2022 once all the receipts are tallied. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the pandemic saw a lot of businesses shut down in downtown and across Vancouver. And now City Council is floating the idea of an empty stores tax. It would be similar to the empty homes tax brought in five years ago to target speculation. But as Kristen Robinson reports, experts say it's not going to solve anything. Chinatown has one of the highest vacancy rates in Vancouver. And now the owners of some of these empty storefronts could be facing another tax. Investors are buying commercial properties, sitting on them, waiting for them to deteriorate. The majority of city council voting to support the mayor's idea to direct the province to explore an empty stores tax to address speculation in commercial properties. To consider this as being an issue of speculation is just ridiculous. Is he a speculator, our mayor, or... Is there another reason why there's so much vacancy in in city properties? The city should really look at themselves and look at how they're handling their own real estate. When you have the Chinatown Parkade that has a 73% vacancy within the Parkade uh, Plaza. Assessed at $14.7 million, more than half of the 26 commercial units in the city-owned Chinatown Plaza are for lease. Local BIAs say red tape and runaway property taxes also driving business vacancies. They occupy 7% of the property and they pay 43% of the taxes. This is the problem. The city needs to get their house in order before they start looking at something like a vacancy tax. Kennedy Stewart says any potential tax would only target speculators and would not apply to the city's vacant properties or others owned by good landlords. We definitely do not want to punish property owners that are trying their hardest to uh, improve their properties and uh, have businesses open. Paul Sullivan doesn't know of any leasing agents holding their space vacant for land speculation. To suggest that people would prefer to pay their mortgages out of their pockets versus through investment income with tenants is, is ludicrous. It just is not reality. Time will tell if the mayor's idea will be as idle as some city-owned properties. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Passengers intending to travel to and from Haida Gwaii today remain stranded after B.C. Ferries canceled all of its sailings this week. The eight-hour ferry ride requires a minimum number of crew in case of emergency. And with many staff members out sick, a lot of passengers are left high and dry. Catherine Urquhart reports. At this time of year, Northern Adventure sails between Port Hardy and Prince Rupert, and between Prince Rupert and Haida Gwaii. But a number of sailings have been cancelled as BC Ferries deals with a COVID outbreak. Unfortunately, we have had a COVID outbreak uh, with our employees on the vessel Northern Adventure. So we have had to cancel several trips between Haida Gwaii and Prince Rupert, as well as one trip between uh, Prince Rupert and Port Hardy. 
In the past few days, more than 10 crew have tested positive for the virus. BC Ferries has arranged flights for some of its stranded passengers. Others are still hoping to get home and back to work. We're a little bit stressed because we're trying to be able to work from the hotel room and there's been all these uncertainties about how to try to get home, but there are people who have serious medical issues on either side, either stranded on Haida Gwaii trying to get here or trying to get back from medical appointments. Also impacted, delivery of food and other supplies. On Wednesday, a limited crew meant Northern Adventure could do a cargo-only sailing. At Super Value and other stores, the shelves could finally be restocked. All of our groceries, produce, meat, dairy, um, beer, liquor, bread, <laughs> everything. BC Ferries says it's flying in replacement crew. Meanwhile, BC's transportation minister says that in the future, those who miss sailings due to a cancellation will be given priority boarding on subsequent sailings. People have been starved for information. They're having trouble rebooking. And I think uh, coming out of this, uh, there's going to have to be some changes. There's no question about it uh, in terms of how BC Ferries deals with situations like this. BC Ferries says regular scheduled service in the north will resume Friday. And it's encouraging impacted customers to keep receipts as they may qualify for compensation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Old growth logging protesters take their grievances to a whole new level. The threat that has Forest Minister Katrine Conroy under tighter security these days in just over a minute. TikTok video of a travel influencer disturbing a bear den and what the experts say about it later. And what a catch. A baseball-loving dad doesn't miss a beat to catch a foul ball coming up. Right now, though, Forest Minister Katrine Conroy has a message for logging protesters after public threats. Leave my family out of it. She says old-growth protesters are getting more brazen in their demonstrations and have escalated to calling her home. As Richard Zussman reports, that has left the government no choice but to increase security. Another day, another series of traffic disruptions by old growth protesters. This time, four people arrested. Now, planning for even more action, a citizen's arrest of BC's forest minister. People are all concerned about some of these tactics they're using, and, and you know, we've heard about them, and we've heard from people that have said you know, they're you know, trying to get to doctor's appointments, and they can't, and you know, mom trying to get her, her child to cancer treatment at Children's Hospital. I mean, it's, you know, that, it just goes beyond the pale. Katrina Conroy set to attend the BC Council of Forest Industries Convention Thursday. Heightened security due to planned protests, coupled with the fact Conroy's home phone number was recently posted online, leading to harassing calls. Uh, you know, when, when we sign on for this, we always know that there's going to be issues like this. But what, you know, what concerns me is that it, it's, it's affecting our families. And I think, you, you know, you shouldn't be harassing people's families. I don't... don't Illegal protests aren't new. But social media has in ways rewarded the most obscene behavior, including protesters going to Premier John Horgan's house and harassing his wife inside. What we've seen, obviously, through the pandemic and, and recent protests is a, more of a willingness uh, to, uh, to to maybe engage in uh, and tactics uh, from protesters that, that seem a little closer uh, to home. Horgan had security before that event, but seemingly now every time he's out in public leaving his office, he has his detail with him. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry also has security ramped up after increased protests around COVID-19 restrictions. There does seem to be a willingness, uh, maybe perhaps, of some people to go a little bit farther, and, and that sort of just amps up uh, the relevant security details. The courts even got involved with the B.C. legislature to stop coastal gas link pipeline protesters from blocking the doors. The province insisting this is a small group of people engaging like this. A small group seemingly willing to do anything to get their message across. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now that's all happening as B.C. overhauls its forest revenue sharing with local First Nations. The provincial government unveiled a new financial model this afternoon. And for the details and reaction, let's bring in Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, Mm. how does this change things? Uh, It's starting to change things significantly, Chris. I wonder how many of those people who lie down and block roads realize just how deeply involved First Nations are in our forest industry. It is extensive involvement, and it's going to get bigger because the revenue share is going to increase. Here's how the numbers break down. Uh, Basically, we're going to double the amount of revenue going to First Nations as a result of forestry operations. Currently, almost $60 million annually. That will more than double to almost $131 million this year. 184 First Nations are eligible for revenue. That number will likely grow. Uh, Forest Minister Katrine Conroy walking us through the numbers and Lake Babine Chief Murphy uh, Abraham talking about just what a big impact and role forestry plays for his members. We are more than doubling the amount of revenue shared with First Nations to between 8 and 10 percent. There will also be an additional 3 percent increase shared from revenue from BC timber sales. These changes will be effective April 1st and will increase the forestry revenue shared with First Nations by around $63 million this year. For decades, forestry has been the driving economy in our region, and our communities have watched logging trucks haul trees from our territory for the benefit of others. Lake Babine people stood by the sidelines with no real forestry opportunities and almost no revenue sharing. Now under the foundation agreement, Lake Baby Nation Forestry Company is growing our nation's forestry business. So back to the harassment uh, and intimidation of, uh, and threats towards Minister Conroy. I wonder how many of those protesters realize, even though millions of hectares of, of old-growth forests have been deferred, a number of First Nations have logging operations that include small amount of old-growth forests. They consider their operations to be manageable, and they're not deferring old-growth. So as much as they want to pick a fight with Minister Conroy, their fight is also in the months ahead with First Nations, and I think that may cause some of them perhaps to change their position. We shall see. All right, Keith, thanks very much. Just ahead, perseverance pays off for Port Moody developers. I don't know if there's something we've worked on that we've revised more than this. The massive project that'll transform an entire neighborhood coming up. But first, Surrey protesters in court fighting for the right to plant signs in their own yards. The bylaw they want stricken down and how the city responds. Traffic is steady in both directions over here this evening at the Patello Bridge, which is some leftover volume southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. 
Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Arguments continued for a second day in court over a bylaw in Surrey that restricts the ability to post quote-unquote political signs on private property. Members of the group Keep the RCMP in Surrey are calling it unconstitutional, but the city today argued that isn't the case. Grace Key has the latest. So are these signs allowed right now in your front yard in Surrey or not? Keep the RCMP in Surrey says the bylaw is unconstitutional because there's a prohibition on these political signs outside a voting period. But the city of Surrey told a judge the petitioners have interpreted the 2021 bylaw amendments in a self-serving way so as to create a basis on which to challenge the constitutionality of those amendments. This is a manufactured dispute. The city says the amendments actually increase opportunities to put up political signs, arguing signs are good to go outside a voting event. You just need to have a permit so there is no prohibition. City staff has neither adopted nor enforced such interpretation, and there is no evidence of the enforcement of such interpretation. And in relation to the amendments of the bylaw, our interpretation is that they expand the definition of political issues in a way that captures keep the RCMP in Surrey signs. The lawyers for the petitioners also argued the bylaw amendments are unreasonable, saying Mayor Doug McCallum and a safe Surrey coalition have suppressed political opposition. The city's attorney described it as the boogeyman argument. They say it was the mayor. The mayor was out to get us. It was staff. Staff have identified opportunities to enhance the provisions of the signed bylaw related to political signs. This was a staff-driven recommendation. We think that the chronology here and the actions that were taken by the city speak for themselves. Two days were set aside to hear the case. It has gone longer. The next court date is set for May 18th. Grace Key, Global News. It's a mega project years in the making. The vision for Port Moody's Coronation Park redevelopment has perplexed even the most experienced builders. Well, one Vancouver-based developer is hoping the third time is the charm. As John Waugh reports, while their plan did receive the go-ahead, there are still many boxes they'll need to check in order to get shovels in the ground. Just barely cutting it without breaking the bank. This is how life in limbo measures up when you're locked in the middle of a land assembly deal. We don't want to invest money in something that could be here or might not be here. It's not stable. Port Moody residents in the Coronation Park neighborhood say they're on their third redevelopment proposal in eight years. The latest brought forward by West Group Properties two years ago, now getting community plan approval by city council. I'm done and I'm extremely tired with regards to waiting. The latest proposal plans to take the 59 single family homes in this area and transform it into a mixed use hub along public transit. Between the six towers, a total of more than 2,600 units. This has been an exceptionally challenging one. Uh, I believe we've been in front of council seven times. We received probably six varying um, sets of direction from them. Now, according to West Group, it made several changes to its original plan to meet the demands of Port Moody City Council. That includes lowering the maximum height of its towers from 40 to 31 stories, increasing public park space to two and a half acres, even offering up a much larger daycare with up to 120 spots. But it claims at the last minute, council decided to ask for more, requiring 15% of the units be affordable housing. 
every other project has been able to offer more affordable housing within less extreme demands for density. What this is really driven by is greed. West Group says to include affordable housing, it might need to rethink its community contributions. BC's housing minister applauds the ask, but says the city needs to be more upfront. Having the expectation set for developers that there's going to have to be this percentage of affordable housing will expedite that. So the renegotiations will continue as Coronation Park heads for rezoning approval, leaving homeowners caught in the middle, left in limbo once again. John Hua, Global News. Coming up, a stem cell breakthrough at BC Children's Hospital. It's an upscaling that has not been done before. New technology to drastically boost the number of patients who get treatment. And silver bullets, a new process to kill bacteria on medical equipment. Good evening. Counter flow is out and traffic is moving well this evening both ways on Highway 99 to and from the Massey Tunnel. Thermador transforms kitchens with artful appliances that are intelligent and personalized, bringing unparalleled refrigeration and cooking performance home. The innovation is Thermador's, the expression is yours. Visit thermador.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. In Ukraine, renewed fears over the Chernobyl nuclear power plant as Russia ramps up its attacks in the region. Russia has also taken a strike at two NATO countries and allies of Ukraine, cutting them off completely from gas supplies. But despite all the tensions, one deal between the U.S. and Russia was made today. Jennifer Johnson has more. Russian missiles fired near Ukraine's nuclear power plants on the 36th anniversary of the Chernobyl explosion, the worst nuclear accident in history. And now, renewed fears that Russia may be threatening another country after a series of unexplained explosions in the pro-Kremlin region of Moldova on Ukraine's southwest border. I'm speechless, said Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, warning the world Russia may be trying to further destabilize the region. The Biden administration is investigating. We do remain concerned about any potential attempts uh, to escalate tensions. The Kremlin has also ramped up financial attacks against two of Ukraine's allies, cutting off gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. The European Union accused Russia of blackmail while taking immediate action. Both Poland and Bulgaria are now receiving gas from their EU neighbors. And this shows, first of all, the immense solidarity among us. Russian President Vladimir Putin demanded the countries pay for gas in rubles, which they refused. The EU is now planning a sixth round of economic sanctions against Russia, while promising an end to using Russian fossil fuels throughout Europe. Meanwhile, despite high tensions, an unexpected prisoner exchange was struck between Russia and the U.S. Marine veteran Trevor Reed, jailed in Russia for allegedly assaulting a police officer in 2019, was freed in exchange for a convicted Russian drug trafficker. This individual had already served the majority of his prison sentence for a nonviolent drug crime, and our overriding priority here was the safe return of Trevor Reed. The White House sees the deal as a victory, as Russia's war in Ukraine has driven relations between the two countries to their lowest point in decades. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, new stem cell technology has arrived at BC Children's Hospital that could help find treatments or even cures for severe childhood diseases. Researchers with BC Children's Hospital say the technology is the first of its kind in the world. It combines and automates all aspects of stem cell culturing, culturing 
into one piece of equipment. Until now, the work had to be done by hand, which meant fewer patients could be helped. The head of cardiology at the hospital says the new equipment will mean more specialized treatment options for patients. Thankfully, a lot of the conditions that we're talking about are rare conditions. But getting an understanding at a cellular level or at a genetic level really then allows us to understand lots of different disease processes better. So some of these very rare, very severe conditions really give us insight into the inner workings of the heart cell. Doctors believe the equipment will help British Columbia advance the science and contribute to a better understanding of these conditions on a global scale. UBC researchers are calling their latest discovery a silver bullet to keep medical devices bacteria-free. The team at UBC and Vancouver Coastal Health Research Institute say the silver-based coating can be applied to medical devices like catheters and stents. The coating kills bacteria, but it won't harm human tissue. This photo of a catheter shows an uncoated device versus a coated one, pictured on the right. Researchers say the discovery is significant because while implanted medical devices can save lives, they also carry a great risk of infection, usually coming from contamination at the time the device is implanted. The coating is cost-effective and can, uh, can be applied to many devices. And coming up, the silver tsunami. It's always tomorrow's problem until it hits you right in the face. Canada's rapidly growing seniors population and the pressure to do something about it now. Also, feeding a baby takes focus. Feeding a baby and catching a foul ball, that is next level. The latest census data is prompting a call for governments to take action now to prevent a big problem down the road. The bottom line is, and we hate to admit it, but we are getting older. And as Kylie Stanton reports, that'll put pressure on our health care system if we don't keep up. Growing plants are growing old. Seniors tend to be the experts. And now they're also the fastest growing age group in the country. Numbers of 85 plus are really the key indicator here. And by 2051, we were uh, using the projections, we're showing that this population, 85 and over, could be uh, close to 3 million. According to the latest census data, between 2016 and 2021, that demographic was up by 12%, more than double the overall Canadian population growth at 5.2%, making another milestone on the slow march to what experts warn will be a crisis in care for the country's elders. We know these things are coming at us. You know, it's always tomorrow's problem until it hits you right in the face. So this census data, I think, is that wake-up call. Here in British Columbia, seniors now make up 20% of the overall population, just above the Canadian average for those 65 and over at 20% and right on par for the older seniors. That's when we really start to see people uh, use the healthcare system much more robustly. It's where we start to see people transition into retirement homes or into long-term care. And with fewer children being born to this age group, the question now becomes who will take care of them. Immigration is going to be a key part of making sure we have those supports in place. As is building the infrastructure necessary to meet the needs of the aging population. But BC's health minister is optimistic. This is not a bad thing. It is a challenge for our health care system, but it's one we should 
uh, we should take on with uh, energy and enthusiasm. There is one finding that's encouraging. BC's 85-plus seniors are now more likely to live independently, up 5% compared to 2016, what may help by some much-needed time. Kylie Stanton, Global News. You don't look a day over... You better say 55. <laughs> How old are you? No, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. No, no, he's not. He's not. I but vouch for him. Close. <laughs> All right, let's bring in our very youthful uh, meteorologist, who I feel like you were smirking a little bit there, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I will not share your age, Chris. Neither will Sophie. Thank you. Uh, no, you're young. You're young. You're all good. Um, you know, today felt like spring out here. You can see I'm wearing short sleeve shirt, but I'm telling you, I, I'm a little chilly. Let's be honest. We only warmed up to 10 degrees. We're still well below seasonal for this time of year. But with the sunshine, it's starting to feel a little bit more like spring, that's for sure. And because of the blue sky that we saw and the combo of clouds, it really was all about clouds. Here's a look at some of your photos. This first one from Ken Calker with uh, this looking out over New Westminster. So we had this combination of very like simple cumulus clouds, but then some towering cumulus clouds, some rain clouds, as you can see there as well. Thank you to Audrey for that one. And another one from Ladner from Lorna. But there was one cloud in particular that stood out. Check this out. Yes, it was viewed from all across the southern tip of Vancouver Island, a ring or a halo-shaped cloud. And I conferred with my fellow meteorologist, meteorolog- uh, Mark Madriga, about this. And uh, he and I both concur that we think it's from a plane that may have done a circle in that area, creating sort of a contrail in that area in the shape of a circle. So thank you to everyone who shares photos with us. Uh, so we're talking about spring. Meanwhile, the caribou is certainly not. This is what they woke up to in the caribou area with a snowfall there in the 108-mile ranch area, 83-mile ranch as well. And we have a snowfall warning still in place, 25 centimeters of snow in the northeastern portion of the province. And that's because of this system here. So it's mainly going to be overnight, but you'll likely still see some wet snow into tomorrow. The rest of the province enjoying a mix of sun and cloud. Uh, We do still have a slight chance of showers. So we'll see some beautiful clouds again tomorrow afternoon with a combination of that blue sky. The key, though, is it's going to warm up a little bit more. 12 degrees should be our daytime high. We're still not climbing back to near seasonal values, but at least some sunshine and slightly warmer. Here's tonight's central windows weather window. One more shot of that halo or circle cloud uh, looming over the Victoria Souk area. Thank you to Karen for that. Slightly unsettling. (laughs) It is a little weird, isn't it? (laughs) All right. Thanks, Christy. What was your uh, theory there, Squire? Blowing smoke rings. God blowing okay. smoke rings, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get to him in a minute. But first, what could be the play of the day from the world of sports yesterday? Luis Camposano of the Pittsburgh Pirates hits a foul ball in the fifth inning of this game in Cincinnati. The ball sails way up into the air and then is snagged with a barehanded grab by a dad who just happened to be in the middle of bottle feeding his baby. Dad didn't even spill a drop. Wow, and the babies seem fine. And you know, I've heard it said that men can't multitask. Well, there is an example of multitasking. That's right. He's feeding babies, (laughs) he's catching baseballs. Busting myths. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Quinn Hughes set a new team record last night for most points by a Canuck defenseman in one season. He, um, He attributes that to his learning curve going way up this season. 
Like I feel like my last 40 games have been the best in my career by a lot. Perhaps it had something to do with the coaching of Bruce Boudreau, who certainly got Quinn Hughes and the Canucks back on track after a dreadful start. Also tonight, bad influence. The TikTok video that serves as a warning with bears emerging from hibernation. Well, I mean, we kind of thought it was over, but we had hope. It's we had hope, now. It's and now it's official. Okay. Uh, do you know what's so special about April 23rd, 2015? That's the last time the Canucks hosted a playoff game at Rogers Arena. It's been over seven years since that happened. Willie Desjardins was the coach. The Sedins were still on the top line. Current Canucks Bo Horvat and Brad Richardson played in that game, which the Canucks won 2-1 over Calgary, but then they lost the series in the next game. Seven years is an eternity for Canuck fans and ownership. Of course, Vancouver's not going to the playoffs this year. If you look at the numbers, though, it might be because the coaching change didn't come soon enough. The Canucks were an extreme fixer-upper for Bruce Boudreaux, who almost pulled off the miracle finish. In the 55 games he's coached so far, Vancouver has been a completely different team. I have numbers. Their win percentage, 11th best in the NHL ahead of six teams that are going to the playoffs. Look at their power play, third best under Boudreaux. They were fifth best when it came to goals against and goals scored per game. They were 12th best. Now, uh, I've only missed the playoffs once in a season that I've started. And that's uh, from the time I started coaching in 1992. So it's not not something you you like to to feel. Uh, I don't. Uh, I hate it. I think uh, I'm all about winning. It's it's. Uh, I don't ever want it to happen again. Last night, Quinn Hughes set a new Canucks record for most points by a defenseman in one season. He has 66 now. He's happy to have his name in the book, but. His real individual goal this season was to improve his plus-minus number. Now, that's a stat a lot of analytics people think is not relevant. But Hughes hated being minus 24 last year. Right now, he's plus 8. You know, it sounds crazy, but I think I'm more satisfied about the plus-minus in the overall, my overall game than I am the points. I mean, honest to God. And, um, of course, the points are nice, but I was just such a hard year last year and with the you know, being dash 24, and I took it personal. And, um, you know, there's still defensemen in the league that are better than me, and I want to, you know, be right up there with them. And um, so that's what I'm pushing for. Last night, Madison Bowie is making Abbotsford Canuck fans happy in a lot of ways. Put his name on souvenirs, also put his name on the score sheet in a 4-2 win over the Oilers farm team from Bakersfield. That's the Abbey Canucks' ninth straight win as they get ready for the AHL playoffs. They have two road games left. If they get one more point, they'll have home ice advantage in round one. WHL games tonight, all playoff games, of course. Vancouver, Prince George, and Kelowna are all at home. The Vancouver Everett series tied 1-1. Now, last year, Vanny Sartini was like Bruce Boudreaux. He took over as coach in midseason, turned the Whitecaps around, actually did make the playoffs, but... This year has been completely the opposite. Everything that went right for Vanny in 2021 is going wrong right now. So will the Whitecap bosses blame the players or will they blame the coach for this? 
Rattles around and knocked in by Driussi. And the Whitecaps are down three. Of course, I feel that, I, that I'm sitting in the hot seat. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's it's good that we we feel the pressure. I feel the pressure. And that pressure continues to build, not just on head coach Vanni Sartini, but the entire Whitecaps organization, as it should be for a Caps franchise, that's now picked up one victory in eight matches to begin the season. And yes, this start is the worst in franchise history. When he is not on the clock here, it is every player is right now on the clock to, to get more ready and every employee in this club, by the way, it's not only on the players. Every 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 single employee, from me, when he, uh, every performance coach, every every guy working on the medical department, every assistant coach, everyone is on the clock. There's no question injuries to key players Brian White and Ryan Gold have had an impact, but neither looks to be the same player of a year ago. Nor does this soccer team. Same for the style of play from a club that's dead last in the entire league and tumbling further and further into obscurity. Everyone is really unsatisfied that the results doesn't go our way and doesn't also fit sometimes the the, the performance we, we put on the pitch. It doesn't help to, to change now everything and to rebuild because then we start on zero. We don't think we are at zero. The Whitecaps have the next week off. Then we'll see if that hot seat warms up or cools off when the Whitecaps host Toronto FC come May 8th. Jay Janor, Global Sports. Maybe this will help. The Whitecaps are announcing a new designated player tomorrow, Andres Kubas, a defensive midfielder who is a Paraguayan international. Maybe he can help. Let's hope. Thanks, Squire. Up next, influencer fail. The TikTok video prompting a warning from wildlife officials. Well, Kuramali is standing by now, the preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Kamal? Uh, Chris, we've just learned the demolition of the Winters Hotel is now complete. After a fire tore through the SRO in early April, April, uh, rather May, uh, April, claiming two lives. Now, we're also watching Vancouver City Council closely tonight, where a decision could be made on installing more public CCTV cameras in the downtown core in an effort to deter violent crime but there are concerns about privacy. Those stories and more on Global News at 11. Chris? All right, Kamal, thank you. An unnamed social media influencer posted a shocking video on TikTok of an encounter with a bear, and it was one that never should have happened. The bear was in its den, and while the specific location isn't known, some believe it happened in Alberta. And as Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, experts are weighing in as a warning. It's the time of year when bears are beginning to emerge from their winter slumber. We had a grizzly bear walking through Canmore and it's still uh, in the vicinity right now. So he was uh, just on the periphery of town and up at the Canmore Nordic Centre. While seeing bears out and about isn't that uncommon, what is rare is encountering them in their dens. But that's just what happened in this video posted to social media recently. A person goes up to a bear's den and waits for a reaction and definitely gets one. Someone who's approaching or entering a den is certainly putting themselves at greater risk of being attacked or interacting with the bear. Alberta Parks officials are investigating to find out if it took place in Alberta and who shot it. Parks Minister Jason Nixon posted that recently an influencer in the wild decided to be a bad influence. If you look at it from the bear's point of view, that's a bear that's scared, it's cornered, and um, and it's, it's uh, striking out in fear. 
And none of that needed to happen if the if if the photographer would have showed it the respect to leave it alone. Kevin Van Tegen is a former Banff National Park superintendent and author of Bears Without Fear. So that bear has now had a, a very stressful experience with human beings. Um, there's no question that it smelled them, it saw them, and that's it's going to remember that. It carries that forward in its life. So. Um, it's potentially more dangerous. Alberta Parks bear expert John Pachkowski says denning is a critical time for bears and disturbing them can harm their health. It just decreases their, their fitness. They're, they're really dependent on making sure they have enough calories to get it through the year so they don't need to be unnecessarily burning off calories because of some sort of human disturbance. Under the Wildlife Act in Alberta, a person can be charged for disturbing wildlife. Global News has attempted to reach out to the person who took the video, but we have not heard back. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Poor bear. Makes you mad seeing it that, does. doesn't it? And Don't boy, do that, that, that mm-hmm. paw comes out quick. All right, uh, in the sunshine for the final word on weather, Christy. More sunshine on the way tomorrow. There is a slight chance of a passing shower, especially across Vancouver Island, but overall a great day tomorrow. And again on Friday, we have a slight chance of showers, probably a little bit better chance on Friday, but it's still some more sunshine. It's not until Saturday that we're really expecting rainfall, but really I'm going to be tallying the numbers in the coming days about our April. It looks like we've been well below seasonal for this time of year. Uh, despite the fact I know I'm wearing some short, a short sleeve shirt right now, but <laughs> that is very deceiving because because I should not be. I need a jacket on, that's for sure. In the sunshine, it is very often felt very nice. It's but not bad. Yeah, the chill comes on in the wind. Thanks a lot, Christy. And thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.